When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on The Blue Room. I'm your host, Rob Vera, back after a week's vacation. I call it vacation, and I've already had people uh, quibbling with that terminology, (laughs) joining me to undoubtedly criticize my use of uh, the English language today, I'm sure, is uh, Keith Tomlin and Les Roberts. Uh, Gentlemen, it's... uh, it's good to it's good to see you. It's good to be on with uh, people who have all kinds of nicknames for me. Keith calls me V, and there's something very comforting uh, about that. Uh, and Les, I think you just call me Rob or RV. Uh, but no one. I feel like no one ever calls me. And this may be just a WhatsApp chat thing, but no one ever just calls me Rob. So, but I, I, I take it as terms of endearment. So, yeah, definitely, that's totally fine. <laughs> well, guys, uh, I am just back from. Vacation. Uh, forgive me today if I'm a little disjointed. I drove or holiday. I'll, I'll go ahead and throw out holiday if, if that makes you all feel more comfortable. Um, I just drove. I think we were in the car for about 11 hours yesterday coming back from Colorado. Uh, but I cannot. And you guys, unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on your point of view, were inundated with constant photos of my of my journey to the Rocky Mountains this past week, just because I felt like it was important to to share that with, with you all. But I cannot recommend enough if you ever get a chance to to go out there and get into the mountains and kind of get cut off from the world a little bit it's uh, it's pretty sweet it's pretty sweet uh have you guys uh, I, I i'd like to do this random check-in if have, have either of you taken any holidays at all during all of this or, or have they been kind of limited to more regional trips here or there uh to to be able to get away from home yeah i went up to um fort william which is 
just by the Outer Hebrides and Scotland's bit on the mainland, which is just close to the west coast. Um, so it, it's it, it's potentially it's getting towards our version of the Rockies. I think it's yeah. the Ben Nevis mountain ranges where we stayed, which is bigger mountain as you're going to get in the UK. Um, but there's no bears and there's nothing that wants to kill you, which is always my fear of going camping in the States or doing anything in Australia, that there's always something that wants to bite you, dismember you, eat you, kill you. Yeah. Locals. Um, but yeah, that no, was really good. We got like 25 degree heat and sun for a week in Scotland with Keith having grown up there. Did you ever get any of that? No, for a week, absolutely like, not. Long. There's, a, there's a thing in Scotland where like naturally we're all pale blue and it takes a week of sun tanning to become white. <laughs> Truly the white walkers of, oh God, of the United no. Kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> north, north of the wall. <laughs> north, absolutely north of the wall. Uh, Keith, have you and uh, Holly gotten out at all in the last? No, no. Uh, we've. Do you know what? It's it's just been Holly's. Holly's been back at work. Like Holly, Holly's worked right through. Um, and I was off. I was off work for about four months. Um, but the closest we've got to having a holiday is we bought a gazebo and put it up in the garden. No. So <laughs> that that that's it. That's our summer holidays this year. Oh man, it's dude. This is the. This was my first. This was my first holiday of, of the year, and uh, and, and look, I, a lot of people can't go anywhere at all, so I'm certainly not complaining. But you know, for 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 a lot of you who are listening, and and certainly the case with me, I, I'm I not only travel, I try to take a couple of them a year if I can, uh, just to to get away. But I'm also someone who uh, travels for work about seventy, eighty thousand miles a year. So I've been extra stir crazy uh, just to get away from home. I, I I've been the the closest thing to any other trip before this was going down to Dallas, which is about three hours south of me to to visit my my father and uh, and my sisters. Uh, and we're kind of we're dealing with a medical situation with my dad. He's doing better. He's he's doing all right. But it's just one of those things where th- those weren't exactly fun, fun and games sort of trips. But uh, man, Colorado, I will tell you guys, if you, uh, if, uh, as I've, I've said before, if you enjoy uh, good beer and good views and hiking and uh, uh, premium legal cannabis, uh, you are in. You are in for the uh, adventure of your life. Uh, but yeah. Um, anyway, guys, I that's enough about my trips and my travels. We've I, I had to kick about. Uh, you know, I've been off for a week because I was traveling, and and obviously we are the podcast. Some call us the podcast about nothing uh, here on the Blue Room. Uh, I would say that we are the podcast about nothing by Evertonians, uh, and sometimes that involves Everton. But I will say. The pursuit or the initial goal I had on this most recent holiday, guys, was to try to disconnect uh, as much as possible. Um, And I still was able to obviously I went hiking and I got outside a bunch and I did all that stuff. But you simply can't. Uh, fully disconnect if you're one of us when uh, Everton are suddenly deciding that uh, they're going to make what am- appears to amount to three significant midfield signings in in a week. Uh, I've been horny for Twitter, guys. It's been uh, it's been <laughs> spectacular. Um, I the just uh, going through the kind of watching the traditional Everton stages of. Of of ever of of essentially transferred Twitter um, analysis, which goes from a dis complete denial or disbelief that it could possibly be true, 
be looking at the player and finding all the reasons why we shouldn't do it or that it costs too much money or that they're too old. C, actually accepting that it could be real and then actually starting to put aside those things and getting excited about it. And and now we are on the precipice, guys. And, and I know, Les, you mentioned that the the running joke on all the podcasts this week is that that is that Everton is or that Everton will announce something while we're recording the podcast. Uh, which hey, if that happens now, uh, those of you who are listening to this right now are going to hear a live recorded reaction to uh, <laughs> to something happening. Which if that's not twenty first century cutting edge technology. I don't know what is. Uh, Les, I want to start with you. Um, been other than kind of being connected on Twitter a little bit. Um, I haven't gotten to have the usual substantive conversations I would have probably had this week about everything. Though we're doing this, and I'm, I'm going to be on Transfer Pod tomorrow with uh, Matt and with Mike Greenall. But um, tell me your thoughts, man. I know. Look, you you hate Everton, so I, I'm always curious as to what you think about uh, <laughs> Everton doing things. Uh, what are what, what do you make just in general of, of the week? We can get into some of the other kind of nuances of it, but we're on the verge of signing James Rodriguez, uh, Abdullah Decore, uh, who who I thought we would just be pursuing in perpetuity until he was thirty five or something like that, and just never get him for whatever reason. And and uh, Alan or Alan or whatever we're going to call him, surely he will tell us how to pronounce his name. We're about to make three pretty significant additions, man. What do you make of it? Uh, I think we said on previous pods, haven't we, if, if we'd have had a functioning midfield, we may have finished a little higher than 12th. And I think it's sort of testament to how bad our midfield's been that the club have decided, right, we need an entire new outfit in there. So we've basically got a, a, a player in each position that we need. We've got sort of what will be a ball-winning midfielder. You can sort of put out fires in Allen. We've got a box-to-box in Decore. We've got a creative midfielder. Slash striker, uh, attacker in uh, James Rodriguez. So it, it's kind of ticking all the boxes for me. I When it sort of broke about um, getting James in, I was very sceptical, obviously, as I imagine most people were. But it just sort of gained momentum really quickly. And now it's like, it's basically on, isn't it? Um, I just saw on Twitter then, uh, Rivaldo's not a fan of this move, apparently. <laughs> he said, uh, I still think he's a big club player. And if he stays at Real, he might well regain his place in the team. I don't think a move to Everton will be positive for him in this phase of his career. That's obviously Rivaldo. He's probably most famous for getting hit in the face with a ball and getting someone sent off, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. And uh, Tino Asprey is not a fan either. He said, uh, I don't understand how does everything backwards. He leaves Bayern because it's cold to be a summit rail and ends up at EFC. I don't know what he's going to do there. It's colder than Germany. It's not colder than Munich and Merseyside, honestly. And halfway down the table... Tino Osprey, uh, most famous for blowing Newcastle the title in 97. So, you know, <laughs> the opinions of either of those two at all. And I think he will be amazing. And I'm way too excited for it. Oh, I think... You can only both hey, badly. Yeah, well, but see, that's the thing, Keith. Like, Les, I, Les, I love that Les brought those quotes up because... Normally, look, anytime we sign anyone, we're, it appears that there is... And maybe this is just due to the position of Everton, right? Like, we're historically a, a huge club, um, you know, and for those who are listening who are maybe new to this, don't try to define what makes a big club or a huge club or whatever that like, it's just, it's an idea in the mind, like Rome or something like that. It's all in your heart. Um, but we're, we're a historically great club, historically, you know, influential, large club, whatever you want to say. Obviously we haven't done anything for going on, um, you know, 25 years or so. And uh, so that's, of course, 
uh, engendered lots of opinions that sometimes fall within this, uh, this kind of weird middle ground of if we show ambition and we sign people, it's why are you trying to, why, you know, why are you trying to go on this fool's errand of chasing players? You're, you're, you're Everton. And at the same time, it's, you know, why aren't, why haven't you been able to succeed in the last 20 years? You know, why aren't you doing this? And, and, and there always just seems to be this, like, you're damned if you you do, damned if you don't sort of approach to an analyzing our transfers. I guess where where I kind of take encouragement from what the quotes uh, that Les just rattled off there is that they're literally looking at Hamas Rodriguez and saying, you're too good at this stage in your career to be going to Everton. And look, the insult aside, I could settle for that. If they if if we're saying that Hamas Rodriguez is still good enough to be at Madrid and he's coming to Everton as opposed to, let's say, a few years ago, Wayne Rooney, who had basically nothing left coming to Everton. I mean, I hey, I will take that all day. Keith, what do you what do you make of it? I know that generally speaking, you have been that you are kind of cautious with your heart when it comes to, to allowing yourself to believe that we'll not either make the signings or if we make the signings that we'll do anything with it. But I'll, I'll be honest, Keith, I said this on Twitter earlier. I'm just I'm just choosing to kind of lean into this because what choice do I have? I mean, this is a different different level manager. These are different level players, at least in terms of their you know accomplishments or their their relative value or impact in a in the relatively you know recent past as opposed to signing guys like Theo Walcott or Wayne Rooney who are well past it um, or signing or conversely signing even young talents who I love signing young talents like Moise Keane but you never know what you're going to get when a player first arrives at the club these feel like the proven commodities that we've been asking for to deliver that that absolutely essential improvement in in central midfield that to Les's point would have probably seen us finish maybe even as high as seventh last season what what do you make of all of this well I mean, if you take what they've said, if you take the quotes at face value, let's be honest, neither of them are wrong right now. James Rodriguez is too good a footballer for how Everton are playing right now. He He's too good a footballer for the, the state of the club we're in now. Is he too good of, the, of a footballer for the state of the club we want to be in in three years' time? No, that, that's that's the level we want to get to. And you don't get to that level without signing players of that level. It's, it's a first step. It's um, you, You've got to sign the players to get there. It's all fine and well signing young, hungry players um, with a sell-on value future further down the road. But you've got to have some guys who can come in and make an impact because we can't have another season finishing 12th in the league right. or... Players, you, you, the likes of Richarlison, Mason Holgate, our best players are going to leave, and they, yep. rightly so. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think they're absolutely spot on with what they're saying. He's too good for how Everton played last season. You you wouldn't see James Rodriguez in a team that lost three one at home to relegated Bournemouth, <laughs> would you? But no, that's I mean, <laughs> certainly that's, not. So that's their their. Um, that's the sort of signing you need to get to that level. If I can just circle back um, quickly on the pronunciation, I believe that if you call him Betty, uh, if he calls you Betty, then you're allowed to call him Al. <laughs> <laughs> Don't oh. me on that one. <laughs> that was a 
That's a if I if I'm correct, that is a very niche Paul Simon reference. It is, it correct? is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolute rammer of a song. Oh, I suddenly I'm suddenly very aware of how much how old we are compared to many of our Blue Room compatriots. Uh, I've, I've been thing. holding on to that one for about five minutes. There, just, just I, love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Google, you can call me Al uh, Paul Simon. Uh, you will see a very funny music video starring Chevy Chase that uh, is. Uh, still, still weirdly, oddly magical. Um, I think Keith makes a great point, Les. I, I, you know, the there's there's nothing like one of my favorite bits that we do on as a as a fandom uh, on social media. Whenever whenever the transfer window comes around, is we start uh, getting into defensive mode uh, from the onslaught that comes from. Uh, uh, rival fans. Uh, I don't even know if rival fans like, like. Why do the Reds care? Like seriously, what are they? They are literally on top of the world. They why do they talk about Everton? Anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um, we do get into this weird defensive mindset of like whenever we're accused of signing a player that's that's too good for us or, um, you know, the, just in general, why would anyone want to go to us? Uh, blah blah blah. I mean, look, we're a mid-table team. Uh, and by the way, we're slightly below mid-table right now. If we want to be, you know, very accurate. So, I guess, uh, I guess, what Keith is is talking about here is just a full acknowledgement that we a we wouldn't be able to get this this caliber of player right now if Carlo Ancelotti wasn't the manager. B this was the idea, wasn't it? If we get Carlo Ancelotti as a manager, he will allow us to punch above our weight in the transfer market because he's Carlo Ancelotti and he is better than we are. He is better than Everton in 2020. Uh, and his goal, of course, is to bring Everton up to his level. Uh, you know, that's aspirational, but but that's his remit. And I, I always kind of speculated that there was no way he was taking this job if he wasn't going to be backed in the market. And I guess that's, I mean, that's not really a, a bold, bold statement or bold observation, but I think we all wondered with COVID and with the weird dynamics of finances, if, if uh, you know, this was going to be the case, but look, Keith made a really good point. Um, you know, these players, the, the, the fact that a lot of people make the argument that you can't, if you get these players from these big clubs, are they going to be motivated? Blah, 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 blah. Look, I can't, I guess those are fine. Those questions are all well and good, but the whole reason that you're paying Carlo Ancelotti, what is it like 8 million pounds a year, nine nine a year or something like that is to be able to a identify players that will work well for him and B to be the sort of man manager that is able to get the best out of players and he's sort of vouching for the character of Hamas Rodriguez and and Alan, isn't he? I I, I don't know. I, I think that's probably why I'm not so worried because the working idea of this thing is: Do we trust Carlo Ancelotti? Yes. So if we trust him, I'm not saying that there can be no criticism of any move he makes, but I, I think we at least have to give it a, a real chance without the cynicism, don't we? Yeah, I think. To a degree, anyone who wades in on Everton, the joke's on them, isn't it? Because we know more than anyone our limitations. We are, by and large, a very self-deprecating fan base. We are quite happy to take the piss out of the club, take the piss out of ourselves. They, they can't think less of Everton than we do. <laughs> exactly, yeah. No, well, it, it's a thing, isn't it? It's often said that no one hates Everton more than Evertonians. Um, true. You know, it, it's this weird love-hate relationship, but we can 
we can sort of take the piss out of ourselves. Like the Reds can't do that. They are actually incapable of doing that, a lot of them. So when people weigh down on us, it's like we, we just sort of roll with it. But we do get slightly defensive because it's our club to take the piss out of, not theirs. Um, but yeah, Carlo Ancelotti, he's, he's the biggest manager we've ever had. That's just a fact. We've, we've never, ever employed a manager as high profile as that. Even um, when Howard Kendall came in, I think he we got him from Blackburn, um, where he was player manager. It was a very early job for him to get the Everton job. Colin Harvey came through um, under Howard Kendall. Walter Smith was relatively big because um, he'd done a lot at Rangers. That's since been null and voided, so <laughs> take from that what you will. Um, Harry Catter, again, just another ex-player who sort of made his name at Everton. So we've never had a massive massive man like this so this is this is new for everyone and I think as you say when he came in it was it was clear that we had to back him with whatever he wanted I think I think Dave may have said it or someone said that on a pod earlier in the week you know we don't want to we don't want to go through this period of Ancelotti and come out the other side thinking oh, do you know what if we just got on this player or if we just backed him this much um, you know we, we've fallen into that trap before not backing managers with what they want and it's uh Really bit us on the arse. I think Howard Kendall's the one that really sticks in the memory second time round when we wouldn't buy Dion Dublin. Um, he left, we nose dived, and Dion Dublin would have been a great player for us um, at the time. That's a fact, really. So yeah, I think it's it's I think it's on Ancelotti to drag the club up, and the fact that he can get a player in Hammers's position to even consider joining Everton kind of says everything about him, doesn't it? And it you know, no one. No one in football, even Jose Mourinho, hasn't got a bad word to say about Ancelotti. So, you know, he's coming in, he's he's doing what we'd hoped. We've just got to hope Everton don't intervene in the most Everton way. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's always going to be at the back of our mind, isn't it? Yeah, look, well, look, I, as I jokingly said earlier this week, um, I've, I'm the one who's got the pending trademark on the Everton curse. Uh, I, I'm fully aware of how... To borrow an expression, a cultural expression, how tits up this can go fast. Uh, I, look, I know all these things. At a certain point, though, you have to ask yourself uh, about about how much you believe in superstition and how much you believe in logic. At a certain point, if you hire the right manager and you and that manager who has a track record, a proven track record of success, uh, brings in the players who are accomplished. Um, eventually that's got to work in theory, right? And so it may not. I, I acknowledge that it might not. Uh, but it's, but right now, all we can really do is evaluate the plan. We can't evaluate the possibility of what happens when all three of them blow their ACLs out or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, if anything, I'm oddly comforted by the fact that we went into this, uh, into this, uh, this window, at least at the very kind of the tail end of the season where I was thinking – well, we'll probably get one midfielder. Uh, and now we're getting three. Uh, James Rodriguez will play on the right primarily, pro- probably, but you know he can be deployed. He's the kind of player that can just probably play anywhere in midfield and be fine. Uh, he can be a 10. He can be a whatever. I, I, I think that, that to try to poke holes in this is really to just indulge uh, a little too much in in the kind of comfortable negativity that we're all used to, but I, I'm I'm just trying to be optimistic because I think the plan itself is sound. I I understand, uh, and we've talked about this a lot. 
I understand the objections about finances and I understand the objections about, well, we should be like, you know, name X cool German club, Spanish club, whatever that can basically sign a bunch of guys you've never heard of from, from leagues you've never heard of. And somehow they all come in and they all click or whatever. But if you have a young man, like if we were under Roberto Martinez right now, maybe that makes more sense. Or frankly, if we weren't in the Premier League, which I think has a completely different set of dynamics than those leagues do in terms of the pressure to perform and money and all those things, I think it's a little different. But we've got a manager who is not a young man. He's not old. I mean, he's never looked better. Uh, I think Carlo is just looking as handsome <laughs> as handsome as he's ever looked. But but he's and he's going to hopefully be here for a few years. But you know, he's not going to be here for ten years. He wants to. His remit is to win, is to be able to deliver substantial progress now. Um, and substantial progress doesn't mean us finishing the top four next season, but it definitely means that. We've got to be aiming for top six, and and even if we can't finish sixth, uh, I would be I would be incredibly disappointed, guys. I'll be honest with these additions. If we, of course, keeping in mind health and fitness, all those things, I'd be disappointed if we finish below seventh next season. We, you know, that's the if you have two double digit goal scorers up front, which I can't believe it's still amazing to me that we were saying that about Everton. We finished twelfth with two double digit goal scorers, which almost feels, it feels like a cruel joke of some kind that we did. But, but everyone, including the manager, saw what we were lacking. We were lacking chance creation. We were lacking um, solidity in midfield. I mean, they just, sli- you know, other teams just sliced through our midfield. And, of course, what did that do? It made our defense uh, even worse. It made them uh, more vulnerable. Um, I think improving the midfield improves your attack and your defense. It, it just, it all seems like it makes sense. And I reject, I sort of reject out of hand. And, Keith, I, I I want to come to you on this too because I, look, we all talk about this a lot, but the the idea that everyone has to fit this brand's profile, which again, I, I, I'm all for. I think like a Keen or a Branthwaite or um, you, you know even an Awobi to a degree, but but not maybe not a Awobi because he's young, but he's he's already been at Arsenal. But you know what I mean, like those kinds of players fit the profile of of looking for young talent with upside and blah blah blah. I get. All of that. But I feel like if you've got really young forwards, you've got young center halves, which we do, bar Michael Keane, and Michael Keane's not old. Um, it sort of feels like it's not a terrible thing to add actual age and experience and, and uh, you know, intelligence in the midfield. Um, I, I get the concerns, but but do, how do you feel about the fact that I know people will complain about, well, you know, this is these guys are... 27 years old and 29 years old as if, um, I mean, my God, uh, I, I'm 41. Uh, Les, I think you're like a year or so older than I, I mean, I, I, I always find the, I, I get that I get the age thing, but my God, we're acting like these guys at age 27 or 29 are just well past it. Keith, how do you feel about, um, the, the risks involved or the logic involved in the moves that have been made? Even if you, even if we don't get into just the upside of James Rodriguez, just in general, how do you feel about um, the overall plan and the, the logic here? I mean, it's it's a difficult one to, to put a finger on. But what we missed most last season and what was highlighted, especially in that last game against Bournemouth, was there was no legs in midfield. There was nobody who could take the ball and run with it. Now, you look at uh, Alan 
or Alan or Al. You look, you look at Abdullah. I'm just going to call him Al now. Yeah. I'm just going to call him Al. We'll, we'll call Al. him Al. Um, those are two players who can pick the ball up and they can carry the ball 20, 30, 40 yards themselves without having to pass it backwards to a centre-half, without having to look for a quick pass, without worrying about what they They can take the ball. They have energy on the ball. If you look at what both of them bring, um, if you look, look at uh, certainly Dukure at, uh, at Watford, he did a lot of the carrying of the ball in their midfield. He, he would take the ball from the, the ball winners and he would move it up the pitch quickly. That's That was glaringly obvious that it's what we needed. So if we've got to sign a player that's 27 to do that, you sign a centre midfielder at 27, you're getting five years before he starts to decline. You sign a, sign a midfielder at 29, you're getting three years before he starts to decline. In three years' time, you don't know where Everton are going to be. Right. That We could then be in a position there to capitalise on the gains that we've made through signing these players to make an immediate impact. And in the process, we could have signed a couple of younger players who will come through, play not as many games, maybe 10 starts in a season, but they'll learn from those players. They'll get the experience from those players. And when your 27-year-olds and 29-year-olds are in the sort of early to mid-30s, that's when you bring the new ones in to start more games. It's not, you don't have to sign a team of exclusively 24-year-olds to have success. It's it's not how it works. I mean, you look at, look at Liverpool this season, look at their, their sort of most influential players. Sadio Mane isn't young. He's not a young, hungry midfielder. Roberto Firmino isn't a young, hungry midfielder. Salah... Jordan Henderson was one of their best players this season. He's in his he's in his thirties, and he was still moving up and down the pitch. This idea that people are fixated on with it, oh, we've got to have sell-on value. That's fine for some players, but it doesn't have to be every player. Yeah, I, yeah. That, oh, go ahead, Les. Yeah, no, I was just going to draw a quick comparison. So basically, had things worked out as we planned with Ross Barkley. He's the same age. To, well, he's twenty-six. The core is twenty-seven. They were both born in ninety-three. Had things worked out with Ross Barkley as we planned, and now say Man United had come in for him. He's 26, going on 27. Wouldn't we be sort of ruining the fact that we're losing a player in his prime and not thinking, oh, well, Man United will only get a couple of years out of him and his legs will go? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I this perception that we are actually getting a player in his prime, but right. for some people are not happy because it's like, well, you know, he's going to be 30 in a few years, and obviously when you're 30, your knees explode and you're done. I find it really strange if you flip it on its head like that and we were selling a player in that position we wouldn't be happy about it because we're losing them at probably the best time in their career well Leslie I want to ask you this I, I, in both of you this is the thing that I think we do that is lo- there's a logical fallacy in which is this idea that you're either buying players to be good in you know for the year 2023 or you're doing it wrong. Like, or, or, or if you're trying to win now, you can't both try to win now while still developing young players. And my argument would be that we've got young core foundational pieces spread throughout that 11 with the exception of the midfield. But I think, and I, I think this seems pretty sound, 
that the guy is I think that we do this the thing where we evaluate because we all love and this is not a critique of anyone who does this kind of work because I really do enjoy the cool multicolor circular funnel charts and the things that I personally am too dumb to understand. Um, I, I enjoy XG and, and all of the advanced metrics, and I think that they're important. But those numbers are only as valuable as the way in which they can enable you to gain insight into how those players will impact the final product. And what I mean by that is that oftentimes it feels like we get so we get our heads so far up our asses in regards to analyzing this individual player in this vacuum that we don't take into account what is the domino effect of this player or these three players on everyone else in the squad. Because when I look at James Rodriguez or I look at Decore or Allen and, and, and I take their, their, their traits individually and then I kind of amass them into a collective impact, I'm not just thinking about how much better they're going to make the midfield. I'm thinking about how much better they're going to make Calvert Lewin, Richarlison. Someone joked the other day, and I thought it was, it's, I think it was uh, our buddy Chris. It was kind of a joke, but not. But like uh, that Yerry Mina could win a golden boot or something uh, with, with <laughs> Thomas Rodriguez in the squad. Like I, the idea being that it's it's not just the, the these impacts you get in a vacuum with each of these individual players where I can say at the end of the season, well, we know that they did good if I can look at A, B, and C stats. Uh, whereas I will say, what was the domino effect of having a competent to possibly, let me dream here wildly, a good midfield with these play- these other players? I think that we talk all the time, and I've said this several times, that Everton can't just continue to buy player get bored with the acquisition after a season and say, we're, he's no good. We're done. Blah, blah, blah. Like we have to pay money for players and that's part acquisition is part of squad building. I get it. But part of that is I've been railing on about for months and months now is internal development. And part of internal development, in addition to helping players mature physically and help them gain experience and manage them. And you have a, you know, a really wise coach like, like Carlo Ancelotti is putting players around them that enable them players like Richarlison specifically to take that next step of going from being one of the very best uh, strikers in the Premier League to potentially being, you know, touching world class level or something like that. Like the idea, that's the idea, at least whether it happens or not, I don't know. But I think that we sometimes isolate our evaluations in a vacuum, whereas we should probably look at what is the collective impact of these players on everyone else around them. And to me, there's no more important sector of the pitch than the midfield to affect change on the efficiency of both your your attack and your defense. Is my is my logic crazy? I'm not a I'm, not, I'm a football idiot as I like to say, but this is a logic that I I think makes sense. You guys tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, I I, I would fully agree with that. Um, you're not just looking at the job they can come in and do these players. You're looking at them bringing out the best in others. Um, I've had a look through, and from last season, in 38 games in the Premier League, Everton scored three goals three times out of 38 games, that's, I mean, that that's 35 games where we've scored 2, 1 or 0. That's not enough. We never scored four goals once in a game last season, apart from Lincoln in the cup, right? And that's you've insane. Got, you've got two strikers who scored 13 goals each, right? Mm-hmm. 
So you think the direct correlation with not scoring goals isn't with having bad strikers because you know they're not bad strikers because they've scored 13 goals apiece. It's because they're feeding on scraps for a season. You give them chances. If you say say they have two chances a match and score zero or one, that, that that's going to happen. You give them four chances, they might score twice. You give them five or six chances, they might get a hat-trick. That is a direct correlation with how uncreative we were last year with how we scored so few goals. So you're bringing in three pieces now into the midfield. All of them have a creative ability about them. That's gonna that's gonna benefit other other squad members. So we're gonna see more goals for your strikers because you've got creative midfielders. The other the flip side to that is the defence was often put under quite a lot of pressure last season. You you saw them when we tried to play out from the back, there was no out ball, so they'd pass it a couple of times and then Pickford would have to go long and we'd lose possession. If you've got a midfield, a competent midfield with energy, who can move into space, who can pick up the ball, that gives them an outlet then. That puts a lot less pressure on your defence. And as a direct correlation to that, you concede less goals. You're under less pressure. You don't concede as many. So you're not just saying, oh, they're coming in to do a midfield job. They're coming in to do a job to help the whole team as a whole, rather than just help one part of the team. Yeah, I think another thing as well is, is is the intangible benefit that a player brings. I think this is what you alluded to there, Rob. The, it's not just all about stats and goals and assists and what they can bring the team in, in sort of those normal metrics. It's that benefit they can bring. So, you know, James Rodriguez comes in. He is a truly still a world-class player. He can lift everyone in that squad. You know, everyone. certain players did up the game when Ancelotti came in, certain players didn't. You'd like to think that if another player of that of that sort of quality comes in, who's a sort of like Ancelotti's a world class manager, Rodriguez is a world class player, more players will think, oh hang on, something's going on here, and then they will lift themselves. You know, we'll love a good uh, trip down memory lane. And uh, yes, I always That's why I bring that. you on here, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> so it, for me, things like that always go back to the eighties team, and that eighties team would have been nothing without Peter Reid and Andy Gray, who were two mm-hmm. who were finished when we signed them. That you know, if if this was, we often say, don't we? If Twitter was around that X period in time, if Twitter had been around then, we'd have signed Andy Gray and Peter Reid, and they'd have been big signs. We'd have been like, these players are like ten years too late coming to us. This they made to that squad, they brought in something different, which wasn't tangible. I know they brought goals, and Peter Reid brought bite into the midfield, but it was something more than that. They brought something else with them. You kind of, you know. You got a Champions League player in Allen. You got a, a world class player in Rodriguez. They can bring something else with them as well. Yeah. Well, and look, no one is saying that these three players are perfect. That there aren't risks. That there aren't. You know, I mean, look, when you're in the position that we're at, if 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 they if they didn't have any flaws to them whatsoever, we wouldn't be in a position to sign them, right? That there there are risks. There are potential flaws, but. But but to your point, it's and, and and Keith, I think you said it really well. This whole notion of to do a job sometimes is very reductive in terms of what the impact of a midfielder can be. I mean, I think that a lot of us ate crow on Gareth Barry to a degree in that regard, and now he's so revered, even though he came to us in his 
what is he, 33 when he came to us? Maybe 32, yeah. 33? I mean, he seemed like he was 45 somehow because of how slow he was. But yet he still <laughs> managed to be really good because he proved the proved conceptually that at times what you needed in midfield most is someone who thinks and sees the game at a level that is transcendently different or, or just, you know, significantly different rather than what you've got currently on your squad. I think, I think the other part of this too, is that these are, these are three guys who share one characteristic uh, that I really like compared to what we have right now, uh, which is that they all are they all are hungry for the ball by all accounts. They all want to be on the ball. They they want they, you know they're not hiding, which I feel like fair, fairly or not. We had a we have a lot of guys in midfield over the last few seasons who've been hiding from important moments, hiding from uh, you know that 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 juncture in the match when we needed them to kind of take control. Um, and I think that that part is is incredibly important. Well, and then I, you know one other thing I'll say too, guys, about the whole creative aspect. I I probably was guilty of this too, especially in the era where more teams were playing with a number ten type of player. I think I always thought that a creative midfielder, quote quote unquote, is the one who uh, can create, uh, you know, right outside the box, can just, you know distribute and spray the ball around and create chances that way uh, with just sheer skill and, and creativity. And that's certainly uh, the profile of someone like a Rodriguez who can who can absolutely do those things. But in in a league that is increasingly built on transition and counterattacking, part of chance creation is what. Uh, you know, winning the ball back, breaking up play, generating a break, what have you. We've completely lacked players over the last couple seasons. Uh, once is well, at least after Adrissa Gay left, uh, and even Adrissa Gay was a great ball winner, but was a bit more limited uh, beyond that. Though it felt like as soon as he was linked to PSG, he suddenly <laughs> became twice as good a midfielder. I don't know why, but I'm not blaming him. I'm just saying he was very good near at the end there. But but that's my point too. Creativity is often thought of in this framework of the really beautiful pass. You know, you know, forty yards downfield that just hits a guy right on his foot, but it's, or, or just kind of, you know, tucking a ball right through a defense and slicing it up there outside the box. But sometimes creating chances starts with that initial ball being broken up, uh, you know, in midfield and that leads to a break or leads to, you know, the transition counterattack or what have you. And having those guys ought to create more chances in a conventional and in the more modern way of creating chances as well. And so I think that's part of what I'm at least in theory uh, excited about. And uh, the other thing I want to ask you guys about too is um, this is more of just a hypothetical because we talked about, um, I mean, it's more scenario driven, I suppose. But what if you could think of one player, uh, one or two players, but really think of one player. And, and I won't ask you to just focus on either Allen or, or Rodriguez or DeCurry in this. But let's just say the collective impact of having this sort of midfield. Who do you think benefits the most? Do you have a player or players that you think benefit the most from these moves that are currently on our squad today? And it could be offense, defense. I don't care. But what do you think? I'd go. I think Richardson. I think he. Now I could be making this up, but I think his chance conversion was pretty, pretty good percentage wise. I don't think he got that many chances, but the chances he did get, he would bury them. Um, so I think, as Keith said before, if you're giving him two, three, four chances a game instead of one, or not even any chances, because if you know quite a few goals, he just created himself, didn't he, last season? Because he was. Yeah getting absolutely no service from anywhere. So 
I think if, if you can, he's that he's that player. He, he comes alive in the box, doesn't he? Um, and he he'll he'll sort of anticipate and he'll gamble on that ball at the front post, or he'll gamble on pressuring that defender, and he'll get a goal out of it. So as Keith said, yeah, if you can give him a few chances a game, I think he stands he stands to score twenty next season. I'm being wildly optimistic here. I'm going to yeah. myself. This is assuming health. This is assuming exactly. a lot of things. I understand that. Um, but it's hard not to be optimistic, isn't it? You know, if you've got a player like with the, who creates the chances that Rodriguez does, and you've got a player like Richarlison who can get on the end of those chances, you know, theoretically, that should that should really bode well for us yeah. next season. Yeah. Well, Les, we talked ourselves years ago into to thinking that what a huge impact Gilfie Sigurdsson would make for us. Um, even just, and by the way, he had, you know, after this bar, this past season that lasted five years, the season before <laughs> that he scored a lot of goals, but mm-hmm. he didn't really, he, he didn't really do much beyond. It sounds weird to say he, he scored 14 goals, but he, he didn't do much in regards to the things that helped move the needle forward in the midfield. And so therefore it's a sort of a limited or narrow, narrow impact. You don't have to squint so hard with these players, but specifically with Hamas Rodriguez, all right? Because he's he's proven it on on the biggest stages in the world. I, I know some would argue that he hasn't fully, fully lived up to the you know Messi Ronaldo level you know uh, bar that people probably set for him after the 2014 World Cup. But my goodness, he's been really good. He's 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 been on great clubs. He's won a lot of trophies and and. His profile, just in terms of, I, I mean, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. Is he the second most famous South American player in the world right now? That sounds behind about- Messi. Yeah, All right, isn't it? I mean, he's just—he's got more followers. He's got like twice, what five times as many followers on social media as Everton does. I mean, it's just—it's insane. So, Keith, I want to go to that go, go that same question with you. Um, and, and I know you're always good for kind of an outside uh, curveball shout, but. Do you have a player in mind that you think uh, will kind of will benefit the most from uh, having th- this revamped midfield? I'm going to go the opposite opposite end of the park from Les here, and I'm going to say Mason Holgate's going to benefit from it hmm. because you look at Mason Holgate; he's a he's a clever footballer. He's a defender, a centre half that can bring the ball out and look for a pass. Now, how many times last season was he bringing the ball out of defence? And there's no one showing. There's no no options right. for the ball. There's no one looking for space. There's no one making a run. And in the end, he has to go back to the goalkeeper. And you limit a lot of what he brings to the team by not giving him an option. Now, you bring those three into the side. You've got two centre midfielders who will show for a pass and take the ball on themselves. You've got a creative force in Rodriguez who will find space further up the pitch. Mason Holgate's a very good passer of the football. So if he's picking out 20, 30, 40 yard passes to Rodriguez who's in space rather than Sigurdsson who's pointing at his mum up in the up in the top balcony. <laughs> he immediately looks like a much better footballer because yeah. he's got better footballers around him. And you're looking at a year that at the end of the season there's going to be an international tournament. Mason Holgate would never have gone to Euro 2020. He might go to Euro 2021. Yeah, that's a great point. It, you know, Keith, you bring up something really interesting there too, because everyone lauds and rightly so that that guys like Mason Holgate, um, 
I mean, really, uh, amongst our top three center halves, uh, Holgate, and, Holgate and Mina are best on the ball uh, center halves. But it, it's almost it, – but I feel like Keane's even improved a little bit in that regard. He's still not someone I really want – I think the other side really wants him to be on the ball more than he, they would want Mina or especially Holgate to. But it's almost pointless having a great center half on the ball if he doesn't have anyone to pass to. It's like it's a party trick at that point. Like he's great in isolation, but how many times last season did we hear people say, well, maybe we should move Holgate into the midfield? Like that's how desperate we were for a guy who who wasn't afraid to 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 get on the ball, to accept the ball, to show for the ball, whatever you want to say. And that's I think Keith put hits on something really important there that I think I I thought primarily of this midfield impact on our defense as being one of helping to break up play and making the defense's job a little bit easier or supporting them more. But even in that that uh, uh, even in that uh, you know playing out from the back scenario, I think that certainly helps. And I don't know about you guys, but I I I know I'm not I don't buy into this myth the mythology that Jordan Pickford is great passing the ball or, you know, I just, I saw too many times he kicked it right straight out of bounds last season. I'm just not buying it. He, he hits one great pass every once in a while and everyone's like, look, look how great he is at that. But I, I mean, I, I just don't want, I don't want Pickford to be in a position where we're relying on him or relying on center halves to, to kick it, 50, you know, 30 yards down, down the pitch uh, to be, you know, and hit it just right to be able to start an attack because I think that compromises so much for us. Uh, last thing I wanted to ask you guys about, and I know there will be some of our very close and personal friends listening to uh, what I'm about to say and rolling their eyes and telling me I, I'm telling me I'm a prick for saying this, but I'm going to say it and I don't really care because they know I love them and it's all right to, 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 to disagree in a civil way. Um, we heard a lot. Um, we heard a lot going into this window, um, and especially in the uh, especially in the quote reputable media uh, re- places, uh, in terms of places we would go to read about Everton's plans. Where if they're getting the story, we generally think to ourselves, well, "That's probably pretty spot on." Okay, and I'm not saying that they're completely off base here, but. If you had not known better, you would have read the lot of the stuff that came out right after the season ended and thought that we did not have two coins to rub together to buy a bag of crisps at the stadium. That the only way we were going to be able to hopefully, possibly, maybe add a player before the season starts is to sell, sell, sell. I mean, if we don't sell uh, Sandro, if we don't sell, uh, I mean, you know, I can get you can get into all the players. Uh, Yannick Balassi, Yannick Balassi, my God, <laughs> if we don't sell him, how are we ever going to be able to afford this? And by the end of this podcast, uh, which you know, probably not, but let's just say in theory, Everton could have spent upwards of sixty million to completely revamp their midfield, and they have not really had a significant outgoing player yet. Doesn't mean they won't. And, and I guess that retroactively it could be proved right. How much do you think Everton played the media in order to help themselves from a negotiation standpoint going into this summer? Because I'm maybe I'm cynical, or I don't think cynical is the right word, but I'm I believe that people 
I believe that that people who are skilled at creating and crafting a narrative or crafting a perception are very effective as potentially negotiators because they create a scenario where it's like, this is the best I can do. I'm not going to pay 40 million for Alan. I'll pay you this. This is all I've got. We can't do much more than this. And now we're looking at signing three significant uh, upgrades that include Hamas Rodriguez. So you guys tell me, how much was that narrative overstated uh, or am I completely off base uh, or how much credit do you give to guys like Marcel Brands uh, and or Carlo Ancelotti for kind of masterfully navigating uh, these waters so far this summer? I think we're um, to look at Everton's transfer stands this summer compared to previous summers. It's we've just been a little bit more savvy. We've not sort of backed ourselves into a corner and got, oh, well, we've got to buy him now. We've made four bids and they've not been accepted. So let's go higher. You look at the the, the stance with uh, Gabriel from Lille. Once that stopped looking like an attractive option, we we just stepped back and said, right, okay, well, we'll, we'll do something else. Previous years and previous directors of football, um, shall we say, we would have we would have tried to outbid Arsenal. We would have tried to outsalary Arsenal and say, "Oh yeah, they can give you this, but we'll give you more." And this year we've not. We've gone right. Okay, we'll, we'll step back from it. Um, like you said, with the, uh, the 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 fees quoted for um, Allen was they wanted thirty five million, and we've gone. No, do you know what? We're not going to pay that. And rather than People are saying, oh, just pay the money, get it done, get it done. We've been smart, and that's left us room to negotiate other smart deals at the same time, rather than being fixated on that one, right, let's throw everything at this. This is, we need to do this. And, yeah, I, I would give Marcel Brands a lot of credit this this summer um, because he has negotiated some very good prices for some very good footballers and in positions we need as well. Um, and he needed it after some of the previous summers where we've not bought as smartly. But we we, we, we look a lot better this summer. Um, with regards to telling the media we were skin, that's, a, yeah. Um, a friend of mine said back in April that if Everton want to buy a footballer, we can blow pretty much any other club out of the water in in the league, bar City and mm-hmm. Chelsea. Our majority shareholder and his business partner are worth a combined fifteen billion euros. Right? Yeah. People who don't understand finance in football are trying to apply logical finance. To a football, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, it's more like the government almost. In that, everyone worries about well, we can't go into debt. There's too much of a debt. There's too, and yet somehow the government finds a way to spend more money on the exactly. it needs when it yeah. needs to. And I, I think you bring up. I think that's really astute because I'm not sitting here saying, oh, we just went out and spent tons of money. But we definitely seem to be spending more, more money to make upgrades than it, we were led to believe would even be possible, which I always thought it would kind of hope. I mean, my thought was that it would go it's something like this because 
Carlo Ancelotti is still the manager, and I just didn't buy this idea that we we're going to buy a bunch of cheap players that he was yeah. going to develop for five years, right? So I, I think to that point, you're, you're right. There was kind of a two-step process to this. Create a a level of expectation that where the bar is pretty, you know, pretty low in terms of the market and in the media. And I mean, even to a degree with us, because I think we were all just hoping to sign one midfielder and one center half and maybe just kind of make it work on the right side. I mean, God, guys, we may get these three and there's still talk. We may still get a right back out of this. And so we are spending money, but Keith makes a good point less in that we are, um, we're in a position where we've been willing to wait out the market to a degree, especially in a market like this with COVID and all of that, that that's affecting it. And, and by the way, you know, Keith, I, I tend to believe you're right about our actual raw ability to spend because a FFP, I'm never going to be convinced is, I think it's an abstract concept that some people get and some people don't. And the ones who think they get it probably don't. Uh, but, but two, I think that as we saw the news today, uh, we voided the deal with China for their right, their TV rights. And so that hits clubs hard. I, I think that there are a lot of clubs, as much as we've seen some player movement, it hasn't been just a ton of movement quite yet. And we may see more uh, going down, but I think you can, if you wait long enough, you can get players at a decent price for clubs that are starved for some cash. Um, I, I tend to think that, that, uh, that, that we've played the, the market relatively well up to this point. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's got to be given some sheer as well, because he does seem to be learning from his mistakes. Now I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's sort of taking a backseat and, sort of wanting these Hollywood players and, you know, the chase for Gilfie Sigurdsson could have had something to do with him. We don't know, but he seems to be pretty hands-on at first, didn't he? But you think maybe maybe he's taking a step back now. We, you know, he's got the manager that he really wants now. He's like the, the superstar manager. We've got that. Let him let him do everything with Marcel Brands. Um, and it, it's... Given the position that both clubs are in now, it's easy to forget how long it took Man City and especially Liverpool to get to this point. FSG took over Man- FSG took over Liverpool in 2010. Well, they made a lot of mistakes in the five years after that. A lot of mistakes. Um, uh, Mansour, Sheikh Mansour took over Man City in 2008. So that's you know that's been 12 years. They didn't hit the ground running straight away. They they did get there a lot quicker. Granted, but it does this sort of thing does take time. Now I think he's been there four years. She was a 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you know, sure. and it's safe to say he's made a lot of mistakes, and there's been a lot of mistakes at the club. But from where we were to where we're going and we want to be, that takes a massive culture change within the club. From what we were mm-hmm. to, to get to anywhere near where we want to be, you've got to change the whole culture. You know, people say, "Oh, well, you're selling your soul." You know, we're not the club we were. You can't be the club you were. You, you... I don't want to be the club we were. Exactly, the club we've I, been, I don't see just... that. I don't see that you don't want to be a nice club. You can't live in the past forever. Yeah, exactly. We're good. Exactly. At, we're great at living in the past as a fan base, but it's, yeah. you know, we, we're now time. at the point. I'm tired of seeing us glorify the Moyes year. Like I had some fun. We had some fun times then. I'm not t- saying that none of that was worth anything, but let's move on. It's time to, to move on. And and if we, you're right. Like sometimes, sometimes big clubs, uh, they're going to spend money. And the difference between the clubs that have finances and those that don't are the ones that can spend money and paper over their mistakes to a degree. Not all the time. I mean, that's look, we can't spend like Chelsea. I, I know that, but we can certainly spend more 
we should have a top given given our resources. Keith makes a great point. Given our actual resources, there's no reason we shouldn't have a top five or six payroll. Whenever they trot out, whenever you see on Twitter, guys, and I want to throw this out there now, just in terms of part of that culture change is, is realigning your own expectations. If you want to, if you see on Twitter those those memes or those uh, lists that that show how much we've spent over the years, and then people deriding us for it. Uh, I think you need to look at it in a different way. Yeah, we we, we haven't gotten where we're going to get yet. And some of those players didn't work out. But I would rather be the club spending money and taking the shot as opposed to just trying to survive like Palace or something like that. I, I'd rather, I would rather fail spectacularly in a grand endeavor than, <laughs> you know, than, than to just be comfortably ninth every year. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. who cares? It's like it, the Premier League is set up so differently that the only – you know, if you're not going to win the title, you you need to qualify for a European place to have carrots to that are dangled for you. I it just just surviving and being able to say, look, we we had a great net spend, or we developed these nice players and sold them on. I mean, I mean, those are the kind of expectations that um, you know clubs in the Dutch league where where brands came from had. They they're there to be farm teams and feeder teams for the big clubs in Europe. Well, we're one of the big clubs in Europe, so yeah, uh, not everything works out, but. Uh, I, I will say too that, I, like for me, the I, I don't let the Sigurdsson and the Pickford deals are the ones that I wish I could have do overs on. I'm at the point where I think Keane was fine. We certainly wouldn't have paid that much money for him now that that we did at the time, but he's fine. Um, but outside of that, a lot of them have just been kind of weird situations. You know, I mean, like I still look at Gabamin and think that that was the right idea and just the worst luck possible. Um, I think that Awobi's raw stats are were pretty good coming in, and he needs more development. He may or may not find a place here, but he's still young. I mean, this these are the kinds of chances and flyers that you have to take when you're in a certain position. But when you're a club that has finances, you might as well be taking your shot. And I'd rather see us go after these three midfielders and these kind of upgrades to, to actually do something as opposed to, you know, being able to say, well, you know, uh, we've got great sell on value for each player we buy. We have sell on value today for Richarlison, for Calvert-Lewin, for Holgate. If Mina can get healthy, we will have it for him. I mean, there, we've got young players that we will be able to sell on for big money someday. Uh, I'm not, I'm just not, I'm not as freaked out about that, I guess, as some other people are at this point. I get the logic. I get that we have to be not wildly irresponsible, but part of being a big club at times with big finances is spending, swinging, and missing sometimes, but you also have a chance to swing and hit one out of the park, to use a baseball analogy. Um, you also look at sort of the clubs we're compared to as well. So, you know, people saying like, you know, Liverpool spent a lot of money, but they're winning titles, and Man United spent a lot of money, but they, you know, they've been winning titles for years. No club dropped off like we did when the Premier League started. We right. had the worst drop-off of any club, so we have been starting quite regularly from a bad position. So even when we got to that point with Moyes where we were established top five, the dynamic changed in the league. The top four became the top five, became the top six. Now you're looking at a top seven. And we kind of shot ourselves in the foot with the recruitment after Moyes. So getting Martinez in was sound for that season, but he was clearly a head case and blew it completely. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, you know, we put ourselves on the back foot and then we went down the route to getting a more pragmatic manager in Koeman. He lost his marbles again. It all went tipped up. So we keep starting from this really poor position. This is where now, as you said about papering over the cracks, this is a good chance. And I'm glad the club don't seem to have been weighed down by FFP. For me, they should just be thinking, right, it's shit or bust now. 
just lash whatever money we can at it and see where we get to. If FFP becomes a problem, what happens? We get a fine. We'll take it. Yeah. I mean, we've got to just be a bit bold, like you said, and we have got to paper over the cracks, and this does feel like the last opportunity we're going to get. Hey, you know, you know how you want to, br- you know how you bring in uh, more advertising and marketing revenue. You sign one of the top five most followed players in the world, and you try to leverage the fuck out of it. Okay, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think you know. I, again, I'm not saying Hamas Rodriguez is a top five player in the world currently. I'm saying he is one of the most five, you know, po- probably top five famous players in the world in a market that we continue to mine even more. I said it the other, I said it yesterday, like the, uh, you know, the, the Puerto Rican, uh, Latino part of me is just incredibly excited about the fact that we are a team full of, of, of Latino players now, especially amongst our prominent ones. And I think that what I hope, and, and I think we're seeing some signs of it. We're starting to figure out that, that, uh, you know, part of, of, of gaining, uh, notoriety, even if people are like, as we talked about at the beginning of the hour, people are saying crap about why are they joining Everton is that you're in the conversation. I want Everton to be in the conversation that gets them avenues potentially to bring in other sources of revenue. Um, you're right. It's, you know, we pay our fine, we move on. Uh, I know people, a lot of people will say we could end up like leads or whatever. I, I guess that could happen, but I just, I don't think it will um, unless something, especially with a new stadium coming. I, I just, I tend to think that it, that it won't. The worst case scenario is we finish mid table again and we still collect our money and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go again. But um, I think that regardless of how this all goes, and I'm not predicting we're going to, I refuse to predict anything when it comes to Everton. But what I will say is that just based on the plan, which is all we can go on. So just, you, you can say, well, Rob, but we're Everton. We, you know, someone will get injured or blah, blah, blah. Hey, you know what? That, that could theoretically happen to any club, right? But we have to get past this idea that we're, that we've got no shot <laughs> to start. We need to just kind of embrace the idea that look, uh, we we're not the best team in the league, but we we and we're not even top four. But we got to start somewhere, and part of starting somewhere is doing the things that. But despite the finishes of the last couple of years, and despite how much we're derided about how little we have, guys, when we signed Gilfie Sigurdsson in 2017, what did the what did the squad look like then? You know, bar Lukaku. I mean, it was. You know, it's it's not it wasn't pretty. And and I, I think that right now we finished 12th and even without these three incomings right now, you can't argue that we don't have some core pieces in place. We have a frontline scorer. We have a good secondary scorer. We have a center halves that I think in general we think we can win with, even if they're not. I wouldn't say they're the best in the league, but they're. I mean, I, I would take that three that that current three, add Branthwaite to it, and suddenly we have the luxury to not have to go out in the market and pay for Gabrielle. I, I think that uh, we have Luca Dean, who right. If we wanted to sell Luca Dean right now for those teams that missed out on Chilo, I bet we could get third. I bet we could easily get at a minimum thirty five million million form and probably 40. So I guess that's the, that's the point is that there's always ways to sell a player later on to do this. This is all about taking a shot. You hired the manager to take your shots and now we're taking our shot. And and I'm pretty happy with that. Um, Guys, last thing, this is just a weird, this is a random hypothetical because I've been um, reading a lot about uh, actually, no, I'm going to save the Gabrielle thing for next week because uh, (laughs) I, 
No, fuck it. I, I don't care. <laughs> I, I, I'm not Matt. I'm not Matt Jones and have to finish at the hour mark. I'm going to ask you guys this really quick. Um, I've been reading a lot about Gabrielle who signed for Arsenal. By all accounts, he was close to signing for us. It, Keith, you talked about it before. He pit, we pivoted a little bit. Uh, I think that some of that pivoting may have had to do with the idea, especially around that time where I think we may have started conversations with Amis Rodriguez and thought, all right, what would we rather do? Sign two midfielders in a center half or would it be better to sign three midfield players? You know, like I think at a certain point it was about resource allocation or what have you, but we, we ultimately didn't decide to sign him. Um, I've read a ton about, I've been reading about him lately. He seems really impressive. I get a feeling that since he's gone to Arsenal, he's going to be really good. And we're, there are going to be people who are going to second guess us and we'll regret it or whatever. But on the face of it today, uh, on September, whatever today is four, third, fourth, I've already lost track of, of the September 3rd, 2020. Would you rather have two of the three that we're about to sign and Gabrielle, or would you rather have all three and, and not necessarily add a center half? Like, I don't think we're adding a center half cause we extended keen, which to me is, is protecting an asset. So, um, do you think this has played out okay, or do you wish that we'd gone a different route and found a way to sign Gabriel and maybe only sign two of these midfielders? I'm fine. I, I'd prefer we sign the three midfielders because we've identified a problem and we've fixed a problem. Centre-half wasn't a problem for us last season. And you look, you've got Lewis Gibson and you've got Jared Branthwaite, a both young English left-footed centre-halves who can mm-hmm. pass a ball, right? Yeah. You develop them properly for the next two or three years. You talk about, again, you talk about sell on value. You could be selling them for 50, 60, 70 million pounds. It's hypothetical. It might not work out. It might not happen. But that's your, that's your playing field that you're looking at. Um, did we need a centre half immediately? I don't think so. Get Mina, get Mina fit. You've got three first choice, you've got three first team centre-halves and then you've got a young lad in Branthwaite who came in and showed that he could step into the breach when needed. He's not going to play 38 games next season. Right. So Branthwaite really changed the equation, didn't he? Massively, I feel like he did. Hugely. Yeah. He, he showed that he can come in, he can be that fourth centre-back, whereas if we'd signed Gabriel, Michael Keane would have been the fourth centre-back. Mm-hmm. And probably sold on at that point. Yeah. Just because you don't want to have that much money tied up in, in four center halves, I would imagine. Mm. So, uh, great thing with I'm Brandt happy with that well as, played out. The great thing with Brandt as well is he did it after that nightmare 90 second introduction of Wolves. No, <laughs> I know, right? That could have crushed right. him. That, that could have been right. That's, nah, I'm out. But he came. I thought this is Matthew Pennington 2.0, is what it, I thought. Basically, yeah, it could easily have been that. But yeah, I mean, to Keith's points there, I agree. I, I 100% would sooner be getting the deals in that we're getting without the centre-half. And not least, just to add to it, that I couldn't be doing with one more week for a decision. That was doing already. The fact that it took so long for Arsenal to announce him, can you imagine? I just couldn't be arsed with him. Yeah, I've wondered about that, and I was joking before, and this will be the thing we close with, guys, is... For all the Everton positivity today, and and I'm leaning into that sunshine uh, today... um, Everton really know how to drag drag these announcements out, don't they? I mean, I I it's weird because on the one hand, I, I'm I'm 
on the whole, so happy, right? We know that these players, they, they've been confirmed by all reputable media sources. They're all joining. They're all going to join before the season kicks off. I expect I expect that even if none of them maybe start week one, that will, I bet, I wouldn't be surprised though if, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if DeCore steps in right away and starts. I mean, there's no, he's, he's, he's been in England. He's familiar. I don't think there's any reason he couldn't, but you know, who knows? Um, but having said that, Lester, Lester got, uh, I think they signed, uh, I can't pronounce it. It's Castagne, Castain, whatever that, that fullback they just signed, the Belgian center back, whatever. Their announcement video was 20 seconds. It might as well have been built on PowerPoint. It literally had <laughs> his name, a photo of him, his position, the country he's from. And I think that's it. And it was like, welcome to Lester. <laughs> I was just like, Whereas I, right now, everyone's like, well, they may not make an announcement today, even though everything's done or the medicals are done because, you know, they got to do media. They, they, every, people say media. And what that means is that Everton are going to record this, like, you know, can film festival level, you know, signing video for each of them that's going to drag this out. And what makes me nuts, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I think part of what makes me nuts about that is that it really, it kind of, Everyone right now at this moment is so excited. They're so happy. And look, we don't have a lot to be happy about over the last few years, but I'm happy right now. And if Everton would just announce it, it, it you know, everyone could just go into their Friday evening, you know, go into their weekend and, uh, you know, it's Thursday, but go into the weekend, you know, whatever. So I'm hopeful of at least one announcement today. If we don't get one announcement today, I hope for at least one by Friday. But my goodness, would it surprise any of you if we don't get anything until Sunday or something like that because they yeah. want to do something weird or special? And by then it's almost like... I, I, I'm sure there's some dirty analogy for it, Keith, about, you know, lap dances or teases or whatever. But I feel like you're just <laughs> getting teased and then there's just no no end product there. I, I don't know how you guys feel. Does this frustrate you or is this just a completely image? Like, I'm not going to complain about it on Twitter, but does it frustrate you like it frustrates me in this very immature way? I I think I'm very much of the opinion that there's that many things to be annoyed with Everton about. This is quite low down my list. This <laughs> yeah. is, they, That's why I say that to the end. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not sweating it. I'm I'm just 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 riding with it. When when we announce it, we announce it, and everyone will be happy and joyous. Yeah. and we'll talk about winning the league and oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that and. To be honest, I can't wait to see how Everton make a mess of this one. <laughs> make a mess of the announcement or make a mess, a mess no. of the signings the, themselves? Every, everything. Everything, com- yeah. Everything. I, I love the fact that it's taken so long that collectively of a fan base, we just flumped it now completely. Not interested. Forget <laughs> it. But I think it, one it, of my favorite parts... Oh, go ahead, Les. Yeah, yeah. I was ahead. just going to say... I'm doing this nostalgia thing again, but if anybody was around for the Andre Kinselskis transfer, this is nothing. This is absolutely nothing. <laughs> we literally down to play in Europe. That's how late we signed him after being linked with him all summer. So, us 90s kids, we made the stand stuff. Yeah, I. it's so funny because I think that, A, my favorite bit is that when we're waiting for an announcement and Everton tweet anything else, like the peep, the reactions from people are just so comical because of just how I think they're, I think they're mostly tongue in cheek, but they're still really funny. But B, I think that the, 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 
the spiritual analogy to all of this is that remember when Lukaku was signing on for us permanently and we were all just staring at that video feed and we filled the time, that delayed time with all of our angst and our previous heartbreak in history over player acquisitions. We filled it all with anything we could construct in our head about what was happening at the time and what was going wrong. Like imagine, remember how uh, by all accounts, Lukaku was about to sign that big extension with us. And then at the last minute changed his mind. Like ironically, a few years before that, for that announcement, or like when he was about to do the press conference with Martinez, like what if that had happened then? I think that's what a lot of us thought was going to happen. And I think that we take that, that, that angst of it and we apply it to these announcements. Like, like there's a little part of me that's like, these are all confirmed, but then the China news came out. What if, what if suddenly the Hamas Rodriguez thing goes away or, you know, what, like it's not, I think it's going to be fine. Keith's absolutely right. Keith is a mature man of the world experience. who is not freaking out over this. And I'm not freaking out, but I'm just mildly annoyed. I think it's one of the funny phenomenons that I'm sure is not unique to our club, but um, it's certainly something that feels very Everton that. And, uh, you know, I, I I find it amusing more than anything else. Well, guys, we have, uh, man, this, this an hour and 15 minutes and it is absolutely flown by uh, an exciting time. Gentlemen, Keith, Les, really appreciate you guys joining me today as always. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to uh, gentlemen of leisure such as yourselves about Everton. Um, we have got a ton of other content coming up this week. Les, I know you got mailbag coming up this weekend. Mm-hmm. I got to get back on the mailbag with you soon. Uh, I just, man, the game show format of it. I'm just, I don't know that I think on my feet fast enough to be as as good at it as uh, some of your other players are. But I really do enjoy it. I can't wait to get back on. Uh, we will have. Uh, gosh, we've got. Do we have a game? We have a game this weekend, don't we? Preston. Preston. Yep. Preston. Oh boy. Can't wait to see the reactions when we haven't announced any of the players and Preston go, go one up. I think that's going to be, uh, awesome. Um, so we've got, uh, that coming up, but, uh, so we'll have mailbag and of course everything coming up this week. If you haven't had a chance, guys, I cannot recommend enough. The interview that Matt Jones and, uh, Mike Diasha did with Sid Lowe, uh, Sid, Sid Lowe is just a level above in terms of the way he talks about, uh, football and, and players and especially the Sp- you know, the Spanish league and Spanish football in general. And it was a great interview uh, talking about Hamas Rodriguez. Uh, highly recommend uh, that. And obviously the one that Matt did earlier this week with Tim Vickery. Uh, we'll, of course, have uh, all of your usual shows weekly just drop. Uh, we'll have subs weekly again next week. Uh, and, of course, we'll be back again next week uh, with more kickabout, hopefully to talk about uh, confirmed signings and uh Gosh, guys, we're, we're not that far away from uh, match day one against Spurs. I can't wait. So uh, for Les and for Keith, I'm Rob. I will see you guys again next week. Take care. When you bundle your renters and auto insurance with Progressive, you could save money. But it doesn't cover any terrible memories living rent-free in your head. You remember that time you were singing in the shower? And then you heard a knock on the wall? And then you realized that your bathroom shared a wall with your neighbor's bedroom? And all you could do was stand there silently, thinking about all the other things they may have heard in the four years you've lived there? <sighs> yeah. Good times. Sorry, we can't save you from that memory, but we could save you money bundling your renters and auto insurance with Progressive. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Renters insurance and bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.